I've uh, sort of learned, you know, in, in public speaking, like uh, I only took one speech class ever, but, um, oh, wow, they didn't teach you that either, um, but almost lost the podium here. Uh, one thing I've learned, though, is when people are tired or, you know, just not really into it, there's really no getting them into it, you know. Um, so, like with my students at Calhoun, you know, I just sort of just have to push through sometimes, you know what I mean? Um, but, uh, so the kids were like they were a little tired. Hopefully you are not this morning. Uh, so hopefully you can actually put on some kind of face to, uh, to show me that you're interested. Let's go to Psalm 119. Now this is the longest chapter in the Bible. So we're going to go to 119 and verse uh, 130, what is it, 129. So that's you don't really hear that many times in the Bible, uh, verse 129. But in Psalm 119, you are going to hear that. And uh, it's, it is the longest, as I said, chapter in all of the Bible. It also is at the very center of your Bible. So if, if you go back to um, 118, uh, you've got... 118 has been sort of designated as far as like the words in the Bible, it literally is the center of the Bible. So not only do you just kind of open your Bible typically, if it's not a study Bible, to the, like if you open up in the middle, you're normally going to hit a psalm, right? Well, 118 is actually the center of the Bible. Well, 117 is the shortest chapter in the Bible. 119 on the other side of 18 there, 118, is actually the longest. So it's sort of neat, a uh, little trivia there concerning the Bible um, right there at the center. So where we're going to pick up is in Psalm 119. Now you could guess uh, what 119 is about. 119, if it's the longest chapter, you think, well, it's obviously something important. If he's, you know, the, the longest chapter in the entire Bible is going to be about something, what's it going to be about? And what you find that it's about is actually the law. He uses more terms for law, commandments, statutes, ways, you know, all this, here in this one chapter, this one psalm, than anywhere else. Not only that, what he does, you'll see these little headings at the top of your, at the top of these sections. Well, that's the Hebrew alphabet. So he actually literally takes the Hebrew alphabet and he does an acronym with it. So he starts with A, like what we would have as A, and then he goes and starts that sentence with A. Then he goes to B, starts that with B, all the way to Z, or, you know, um, the Hebrew for that. So, it's actually, he's almost playing here with the idea of the law, and he has taken time to write poetry that's based on thinking about God's statutes, God's commands. Um, And so we're we're, we're obviously not going to read the whole psalm. Uh, So, so, you know... (laughs) Uh, don't don't fret. Um, but we are going to read one of these sections here. This is 129, and we'll go down to 136. Notice this. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, 
and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your holy word. Now bless the reading of this word and the preaching of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's really tough to see an 82-year-old man cry. It's really, it's really a sad scene, especially when you know that man to be somebody that's like a second grandfather, a spiritual grandfather, and to see him weeping. Uh, and yet, I saw that yesterday as I attended the funeral of Eloise uh, Long. And Brother Buddy, who's been in my dad's church before he ever even got there, which was 29 years ago, um, he's been in that church with his wife, uh, faithfully serving God all of those years. And his wife died this past Thursday and was returned to the dust, returned to the ground yesterday at a funeral. And I got to thinking as I was at that funeral... What is her life now? What does it mean? What does death get the final victory? Um, what is our life now, knowing that we're going to die? Uh, what does your life mean? What will you leave behind when you're gone? Will death win in the end? What will you do to leave footsteps behind for others to follow? This psalm in verse 133 says, Keep steady my footsteps. That's the way the NIV translates that. Keep steady my footsteps according to your promise and let no sin or iniquity or evil overtake me. Overcome me, have dominion over me. That's a powerful, that's a powerful verse. Steady my footsteps so I'm not overcome by evil. We all know people who have been overcome by evil. It's a sad state to watch them literally swallowed up in death. Before they ever even meet death, they're walking in the ways of death. Sin has overtaken them. Now, you know, we, we were at the beach this past week and uh, inevitably this happens every time we go is, you know, I'm walking on the beach, right? And I look behind me and I have little people trying to follow in my footsteps. Now, I'm not using that as a, as a, as a metaphor, Literally, they're trying to follow in my footsteps. I don't even realize it. And I look back and, you know, they're trying to take these large steps, you know, to, to, try, to try to get into dad's footsteps. 
And in particular, Baylor, for whatever reason, finds it funny and, and interesting to try to do that. So I try to mix it up a little bit. I'll take a couple small steps. Then I'll take some really large steps where he really can't make it, you know. He's like, Daddy, I almost made it, you know, into your foot. And I got to thinking about that. You know, it's really a great metaphor for our life, isn't it? I mean, you've lived to this point in your life, and you have a footprint. You know, everybody always talks about a carbon footprint. You know, what's your carbon footprint, and you know, what's your mark on the environment? What about your mark on other people? Like, what's that look like? If people were following in your footsteps in a literal way, what are they going to? What are you going to lead them to? Where will they find themselves? You know, I'm, I'm all for saying that, um, that I don't really care what other people think. Like I've said that before, you know. Um, and in a way it's true. But I say that because I know who I am in Jesus Christ. My family knows who I am. My closest friends know who I am. If they start saying something, I do listen. But for an outsider just to come in from nowhere and start accusing me of something, that doesn't bother me. That doesn't offend me. They don't know me. It's those that know me, that walk with me in this journey of life, when they start saying something, that's when it does matter what they say. So on one hand, you know, yeah, it doesn't matter what other people say about you. If those other people are outsiders... It does matter what people say about you who are in the inside of your circle, of your walk, of life. If Jessica says something, then that ought to be tipping me off because, well, she sees a part of me that most people don't. If my dad sees something, then, you know, that means something. And so, when we are on this journey, we don't do it alone. And we listen to those who matter, not those who are on the outside. You know, don't don't um, let others control who you are from the outside. But for those on the inside, those who are trustworthy, those who love God, the family of God, even listen to them. Let the Holy Spirit work through them, because trust me, uh, marriage is a very sanctifying act. It's actually meant for our sanctification. Um, Family is a sanctifying act. In other words, if you're in a family, uh, you're going to know it's not easy to be in family. It's not easy to be bound to other people. Because quite frankly, people change. And so we are not in it based on feelings. You don't leave your family because you don't feel like loving one of them today. You don't leave them because one of them gets an ailment or an illness or a bad attitude. That's not the way family operates. And it isn't the way that the church operates either. Because the church is a family. That's why it worries me people that, that will hop from one place to the next just waiting for something to go wrong and then they're on to the next one. I mean, is that really a family attitude? Now, I understand. There are, there are times when we must leave, when we have to leave, when we have to say no, when we have to put up boundaries. But for the most part, family doesn't leave family. 
Friends don't leave friends. Spouses don't leave spouses. God shows us this sort of faithfulness. It's the walk that He Himself has done. It's the walk that He's designed for us to walk. Um, So, I ask you, you when you look back, just really think about this. When you look back on your life up to this point, what have you really left behind? What do those footsteps lead to? What do they say about you? Where are they going? Are they wandering? Or is there purpose involved? Does it show your laziness to not do and not fulfill the requirements of being a man, of being a woman? Does it show your frivolity? It's a big word. Frivolousness. Silliness. Yeah, I've seen people in this walk of life that they take everything just as silly. It's just funny. There's got to be a time for seriousness. I'm all for having a good time. But in order to have a good time, you have to be serious about the things that matter. If everything's a joke in life, then nothing is worth living for in life. There are things that are serious matters. And when we take them seriously, then we can have a better time, a more joyful time in times of celebration. Is it busyness? Everybody always wants to harp on laziness. But what about busyness? I'll never forget in seminary when uh, I thought my life was as busy as it could get. You know, working into the wee hours of the morning and reading and writing and, you know, working at two different churches. Um, I'll never forget one of my professors. I, I, he asked me in the hallway, he said, he said, how are you doing, Marshall? I said, oh, just, just really busy, you know, just going from one thing to the next. And he said, well, then slow down. Pull back. You know, I thought he'd be proud of me because I was so busy, right? I mean, I was working on one of his papers, right? But he wasn't proud that I said I was busy. Because busyness can snatch away family. Busyness can snatch away our relationships. And what matters in life is not just being busy. And you you see this, don't you? I see it all the time. I I go into a doctor's office and, and people, they don't, you know, if the TV's not on or there's no magazine that they want to look, they just get out their phone and just act like they're busy. We just busy ourselves with these things. What about if you just sat there and prayed for 15 minutes until you saw the doctor? Like, is that so bad? Is that so difficult to do? But we just busy ourselves with things that really don't matter. Frivolous things. Silly things, really. And whether it's TV or movies or whatever, there are times where we must pull back. There are times where we need to get serious. Where we need to, if you will, in my illustration here, where we need to press down a little harder so the guys following us can see where we're going. Amen. And that's going to take time. That's going to take intentionality. It's going to take you being intentional to make a footprint, an imprint on this life. That kind of stuff doesn't happen just by wandering. So when you look back... 
Who's following you? There's always somebody watching. You ever notice that? I don't mean just cameras. <laughs> Even though we, we live now in a day where you might as well face it, whatever you say and wherever you say it can possibly be recorded. Um, you can be seen. But, but I'm, I'm talking about in your life, there are people that watch. They may not ever come to you and say, hey, I'm actually watching how you walk with Christ. I'm watching how you treat your wife. I'm watching how you treat your friends. I'm watching when crisis comes, how you react. When somebody bumps into your cup of water, what spills out? I'm watching. They won't ever tell you, but they're watching you. And you influence other people. This is the way sin works too, isn't it? The Bible talks about the social nature of sin. That from Adam and Eve, it's not just contained in them, but then it moves to the brothers. It moves then to the family. It moves then to the nations and to the whole world. It's the way salvation works also. Socially. In other words, I didn't, re- I didn't receive the gospel from an angel. I didn't receive the gospel on a mountain meditating under a tree. No, someone shared the gospel with me. Not just sat me down and taught me. They lived it out before me. It's often been said, and C.S. Lewis brings this up in his book, Mere Christianity, that the, that the gospel, the good news, is more caught than taught. So it's not just about sitting in a classroom teaching someone certain biblical truths. It's about walking that out every single day and people catch on. It's like a cold. It's like catching a cold. Or catching a virus. You catch it in proximity to the one who has it. And Christians, you, the body of Christ, when you have it, you're contagious. And that's a good thing. I didn't think up that on my own. That was C.S. Lewis. He talks about the good infection. We are infected with the truth. Do not contain that. Spread that wherever you go. Be a fragrant offering unto God. Because trust me, the, hand, the world is not washing their hands properly. They're not containing themselves. They're wandering through life, touching everything, willing to hear all kinds of things today. It's a wide open market for religion. You know, the sociologists were wrong back in the 50s and in the 60s. They said that religion would be dead by the 2000s. That was the projection. All of them pretty much agreed across the, the map, uh, the experts, that, um, that religion would be dead. That we would get so smart, so scientific-minded that religion would cease to exist because that would all be make-believe Santa Claus type stuff. Guess what's happened? The exact opposite. Religion is more alive today than it ever has been uh, across the world. There are more people alive today, you understand, than has ever existed in, 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 our, in our world. It's a wide open world. Yes, it's bleak at times. Yes, we live in a dark time. But what generation hasn't gone through a dark time? Think about the previous generation on us. World War II, that was pretty dark, wasn't it? 
So we face darkness. The next generation will face darkness. But it's all the more opportunity to shine brightly, isn't it? Amen. You ever notice how when it's really dark, you can see the stars? When there's artificial lighting around, you can't see as many stars. Go to the country where my Mimo and Pappy live, where my Mamaw and Papa are, out in Mississippi in the boondocks, you're going to see every you're going to see stars you never even thought were there. I didn't even realize they're over there, the little twinkling things. They're everywhere. How's there so many stars? You go back to the city, can't see as much. Artificial. We have a lot of artificial light going on in our life. The world can't really see the true light. Because there's so much artificial light around them being advertised. And so, you know what? I, you know, this is sort of weird to say, but I welcome the opportunity to serve God in a very dark time. Because it's all the more opportunity for us to shine brightly. You know, I, I've said this before, and you know, I don't know if it's a prophecy or what, or prophetic or not. But I, I, I sort of feel like my ministry is, is somewhat in line with Jeremiah. I don't think I'm going to do some great miracle ever where people are like, wow, you know, he, really, he healed a lady from the dead. That's amazing. I don't think that's going to happen. Jeremiah never did one miracle. Not one. Now, Elijah, Elisha, boy, they had a host of miracles, you know. Ezekiel did some pretty awesome stuff. But, but Jeremiah, his ministry was calling out to people who were never going to say yes to God. They were not going to. They just kept flying off the cliff. He had his hands in the air and he was preaching the good news in the bad news. And no one ever responded. We're not told anyone ever converted under his ministry. And yet, Jesus, when he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They said, Jeremiah. So Jeremiah was not a failure. Maybe in the world's terms. He didn't have the biggest church. He didn't have the greatest ministry and statistics on his ministry. He couldn't show you on paper how good of a job he was doing. But God knew his faithfulness. And if I have to hold the torch while nobody else responds, I'm willing to do that. Are you? If our generation is the one where we don't see a great revival, what if we were to hold the line until that can happen? Aren't we that important too? Absolutely. It's the way that generations work. Not every generation you're going to have a great revival. But what if we get to hold the line and never see that day come, but the next generation does? We were a part of that. And I'm willing to do that. So when you look back, who do you see following you? There's people. There's people watching. When you look ahead, who are you following? You see, it's not just a game of you're the leader. There's never just one leader. Leaders follow leaders. That's why they're good leaders. So who are you following? When you look ahead in your life, do you see the journey ahead? Do you see what's important? Are you caught up with just what's right there in your face? You know how life gets. Things start coming at you fast, right? And I mean, you wake up one day and for two weeks you've not even said a prayer, but you've been doing business. You've been trying to get things done. But you've not even asked God 
what's going on, what I should be doing, what I should be concerned with. Life comes at you. I love, used to love those nationwide commercials. You remember? I don't know if some of you guys remember those, but it was really funny accidents that would happen. It's like life comes at you fast, you know. Um, it's the truth, isn't it? And sometimes it's coming so fast that we have to stop and pull back. Go back to that closet, as Jesus said, shut the door and let's talk about reality. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about what's important. Let's talk about where I want you to go. So as you're walking through this life, look ahead. Who are you following? There are people who have gone before you. You're not the first to forge the path, thankfully. Even into death, there are those who have gone before us, who have lived the faith, who have been in situations like yours. You're not the only one to go through what you're going through. I may not be the one who can sympathize, but there's others who have walked that same path. Look ahead, because there's a cloud of witnesses who can testify to His faithfulness. Notice, notice how the psalm uh, right here in 121 says it, Your testimonies are wonderful. Where are God's testimonies seen? They're seen in people. Amen. He likes people. <laughs> I, I used to say as a, um, a young dummy, really, um, that you know, the world would be great if, if we didn't have people. Because people are just complicated. People complicate everything, you know? I mean, I could just drive where I wanted to drive. Wouldn't have to worry about somebody pulling out in front of me or going slow in the left lane. Um, it'd be great if just people weren't here. But you know what? That's not the truth. That's foolishness. God loves people. He loves how complicated we are. He's the one who made us that way. He Himself has taken on humanity. Complicated Himself, if you will, for us to live it out, to forge the path before us, to have the footprints there for us to follow. They are here. They are contained here. They are contained in the church. There are witnesses. There are testimonies all over this congregation and a host of others across the world. That's the beautiful thing about me going to India is it's encouraging for them. It's encouraging for me to be with the body of Christ in a foreign land. How awesome is that? I mean, you know, uh, there's this video I watched uh, recently that, that uh, the guy was at, he's a, he's a minister, he's a preacher, and he was asked on a plane, you know, sir, what do you, what do, you do? He said, well, I'm a part of a global organization. We have, we have institutions all over the world. In every continent, we have hospitals, we have orphanages, we have all kinds of uh, you know, medical things that we do, all kinds of uh, you know, humanitarian work that we provide all over the world. And, and this woman's just you know, mouth dropped open. She's like, well, well, who do you work for? What organization is it? It's the church. It's the church. We are a part of something that is huge. And I don't ever want us to forget that here at Harvest Point. This is not about building up our name, our little church. We are a part of a great, large body and family of people. We have to do our job here in Madison so that others on the other side of the world can be affected. But also so that the guy next to you in the cubicle can be affected. Because that's a whole other world right there. Every one of us represents a whole nother world. 
And we are called to this area. You're here now, so this is your calling. You don't have to go to India. You don't have to go to Africa. You just have to go to work tomorrow. You just have to engage people tomorrow with the gospel by your very life. When you go to the grocery store, how you treat the waitress. I mean, just simple things. When, when, when she's not doing a good job, what if you show grace? I mean, is that such a foreign idea? But we get so caught up in ourselves and I'm paying for this meal. Well, you know what? There's a whole other world that's serving you. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. What if we were to treat others as our mission field? Loving them as God Himself has loved us and cared for us. So when you look ahead, what do you really see? Are you following anyone or are you just wandering? Don't wander. There's a path. There's a path that not, you know, it's, it's not some uniform path that everybody's going to look the same, but it's His path for your life. I don't know it. I'm not called to it, but you are. You have a world that you are to reach that I can never reach. Not just because you have a security clearance, but because I can't get into those people's lives. I can't spread myself out to those people. I spread myself out to certain people. You do to other people. That's how the gospel goes forward. We're all ministers, haven't you heard? We're all ministers. We all have our job. We all have our mission to do. And let me tell you, when you're on mission with God, and when you're doing that mission, there's no greater joy. I watched Brother Buddy, 82 years old, yesterday, in the sweltering heat, as we were burying uh, his wife. He buried his head into my dad's chest. And he said, thank you for being here all these years. I'll be calling you in the days ahead because it'll be tough. Now what does that mean? That's leaving behind something, isn't it? That's leaving a testimony of 29 years of serving people. That's not just for pastors. You understand that? There are people in your life that need to be served. Our job is to serve them. Neighbors that will never darken the doors of a church. But they'll hear from you. They'll see how you treat them. They may never be reached by a pastor, but you can become a shepherd to them. This is the way God has designed it. Brother Buddy and his wife Eloise, for me, have been spiritual grandparents. And you know what? When I look across our congregation, my kids have spiritual grandparents in this church. They have spiritual mothers and fathers. I have spiritual mothers and fathers in this church that I need to come alongside me and say, hey, let's do this together. You're not in it alone. You've got people that are lifting you up, holding your hands at times, dragging you along at times. You know, sometimes you look back and (laughs) there's these ski marks because I had to be drugged, you know. Come on, buddy. You can make this. The important thing is not to stop on this journey. That's the important thing. Never give up. Never give up. Never, ever, 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 ever give up. One of the greatest speeches. Uh, There are times when you just need to make the next step. 
Some of you are at a place where you really can't see in front of you. You've got to just make that next step. I'll never forget being on the Appalachian Trail with my brother and a couple friends back in college. I was wore completely out, overpacked my backpack, which is a common rookie mistake, and uh, I was struggling. And I mean, every step up was just torture. Um, and I had blisters and all this other kind of stuff going on too. And, you know, you've you got to keep pushing. I mean, what's it gonna, what good is it going to do to stop? Like, you know, it's like what, like what they say in triathlons, you know, if you stop, uh, if you stop pedaling, you coast. If you stop running, you walk. If you stop swimming, you die. Um, so you can't stop swimming. You got to keep pushing forward. You can't, you can't stop. What's, what good is it going to do to stop? It's, it's not going to do any good. You must keep going. You know what? Here's the good news. You've got friends right here who will walk along life with you. Don't bottle up your life. Don't, don't recluse away from the family of God. We're here to help. There's a family here that you can be a part of, that you are a part of, you just don't know it. Some of you are already fulfilling that, and I praise God for that. Some of you need to be more intentional about it. So when you look back, what do you see? When you look forward, what do you see? Lastly, What about now? Where are you right now on this journey? The most important thing is to act now. Why wait another minute? We don't look to the hills. We don't look to commercials. We don't look to the world for help. We look to God. Lift up your eyes further than this world. I love what Ecclesiastes, which we were in a couple weeks back, the Ecclesiastes, the preacher, as as he says... He constantly has this one phrase that he uses. He says, it's all vanity under the sun. He just says it over and over again. It's all vanity of vanities under the sun. It's all vain. Go to work, it's vain. Have friends, it's vain. Make a bunch of money, build a bunch of stuff, make a name for yourself, it's vain. Because you die. And it's over. But is death the end? This is where I began was with that question. I'm going to end with that. Is death the end? Well, it is the end under the sun. In other words, that's his way of saying, if all you live for is this life, if all you think it is is the sun's it, there's nothing beyond the S-U-N, then you've missed the whole point. There's, it is vain to live life for this world. It is absolutely vain. Because you can store up whatever you want, you're going to die, and you're not going to take it with you. But... Living for something beyond the S-U-N? In other words, living for the S-O-N? That Son is worth living for. He has come from beyond the Son, and He points us beyond the Son to eternity, to eternal life, to eternal bliss. Don't you want to live with the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Think about these. Being patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-control. Now, that doesn't sound much like a superstar, but let me tell you something. Brother Buddy and Miss Eloise, they're superstars. They have impacted me in a way that the world's superstars never will. You can make that same kind of impact. 
you can make that same kind of imprint. As you look back, it's not just sand that we're stepping on. It's more like concrete. It's the rock. When we build our foundation, not on sand, that the waves can come in and wash away, but on the rock, we will imprint in such a way that it's more like a fossil. It ain't going nowhere anytime soon. And I use bad grammar on purpose. God has called us to leave footprints behind so that others may come. But we have to be diligent to follow those that have gone before us. Act now upon this Word. Wherever you are, whatever's happened in the past, it's a new day. His mercies are new today for you, for me. Thanks be to God. Amen.